Welcome back to Cobbler's Gulch. Episode 9, The Dizzy Drifter. After Hazel peels Oz away from Huffnagel's, she takes him to the now empty field of lilt blossoms. Hazel studies Oz as Oz studies the meandering maze of goblin tracks. He traces the impressions with his fingertips. He fills the footprints with his own feet, and he uses his thumb and forefinger to figure the angles and predict the patterns. Meticulous and precise, his process seems like a clockmaker's, one in which each detail must be sorted, examined, placed, and assembled with the finest precision. Finally, after several moments of wayfaring ceremony, Oz checks the position of the sun and points his arm, crooked at the elbow. We should head east. Hazel also checks the sun and considers it against Oz's pointed arm. Do you mean west? Even the nanny and her billy <laughs> were resting in the shade of a knobby elm and half listening to Oz's directions. Even they seem skeptical. Um, no. I think, uh... That way is east, and that way is west. Well... I suppose it's different depending on where you're standing, isn't it? No, that's not true. Not even a little bit true. Or it could be, it can be different depending on which way you're looking. Maybe, no. Nope. Well, we should start moving if we're gonna find out where these goblins are coming to. Right, right. Wait, 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 wait. No, Oz, I need to know where they're going. Not where they're coming. If they're coming, won't they also be going? Well, I guess that's true. Either way, we should be able to get where we're going. Er, uh, I mean, where they're going. This sort of bum-fuzzled disorientation is exactly what Hazel is afraid of. I already know where they're coming to. They're coming to Cobbler's Gulch. They are? (sighs) When? They've already been to Cobbler's Gulch. So they've gone? Yes. Oh, good. Then what do you need me for? Because they're probably coming back. What? And I want to find them before they do. Everyone says a Wittershin Wayfarer can track a ghost in the fog. So a stinky goblin shouldn't be any trouble. I thought you only wanted to know where they've been. Yes. As long as that leads me to where they are. Suddenly, the gravity of Hazel's request becomes clear to Oz. He nods to confirm his understanding, and he punctuates the nod with an affable smile. Well, affable, but peculiar. To explain, Wittershin wayfarers masterfully deconstruct body language and facial expressions. They can look at the complexion of a man's skin and the tempo of his gait, and then tell you what that man ate for breakfast three days ago, whether the eggs were poached boiled, scrambled, or fried. They can tell not only whether a pregnant woman carries a boy or a girl, but the precise time, down to the minute, that the water will break. 
They can tell lies from half-truths and rumors from innuendos based on the angle of the prattler's lips and the pitch of the blabbermouth's voice. The livelihoods of the Wittershans depend on these nuanced and subtle skills, but it doesn't take a Wittershan wayfarer to notice Oz's naturally bronzed skin go deathly pale as he nods his head. It doesn't take a Wittershan wayfarer to notice the sweat that's misting Oz's top brow. And it doesn't take a Wittershan wayfarer to notice that Oz's consenting smile is merely polite. It happens only at the lips and the teeth and not at the eyes like any authentic smile should. But Hazel overlooks all of these details because her excitement and her desire to locate the goblins, well, it's keeping her an arm's length from her usual good judgment and level-headedness. Lead the way. I thought you wanted me to follow the tracks. That's right. I do. That's exactly what I want. How can I lead and follow? Hazel gently grabs Oz's arm and begins walking him along the goblin tracks, urging him to begin his process. And so they set off, Hazel following Oz, veering east, then west, circling one way and then the other, figuring eight, hopping willy-nilly from one trail to the next, exploring all of the cardinal and intercardinal directions and every angle in between, searching chaotically and then orderly, and then searching in a chaotically ordered fashion before switching to an orderly chaotic fashion. And on and on this goes until Oz has gotten them lost. Certain areas of the margins of Cobbler's Gulch exist beneath a thick canopy with no view of the sky and no ability to see any farther than 20 feet ahead. And this makes for a nearly impossible and impassable navigation. (sighs) Oz, how could you have gotten us lost? I don't know. And how could you not know? I've never known. Iggly biggly, Oz. You're a good friend. But you've walked us in enough circles for the time being. If you start talking in circles, I am going to throttle you. I'm trying to tell you something. Hazel looks at him. He's staring down at his dirty moccasins, his eyes sad and swollen with shame. I've been lost for a long time. We haven't been out here all that long. Not us. Me. I've been lost. And with that, Oz tells Hazel about the pinecone tragedy. Ouch! Ouch! About how it had never really happened. What really happened was that Oz wandered from the tribe for just a moment to investigate what he thought to be a pegasus. One of the few instances, actually, when he was spot on in his tracking. And before Oz knew it, he was lost. He looked up, and his tribe was gone. They might have been anywhere between the mellifluous sea and the weeping wastelands. Not that it would have mattered any if Oz could have learned their precise whereabouts. If a Wittershin wayfarer becomes lost, well, then he's lost forever as far as the tribe is concerned. To the Wittershins, being lost is not a temporary circumstance. Once lost, always lost. And so Oz and the lame Pegasus eventually wandered their way to Cobbler's Gulch. I'm a lost wayfarer. That doesn't even make sense. (sighs) I don't make sense. Hazel knows what that feels like. 
to feel like you don't make sense in your own world, and she tries to reassure him. When it comes to making things, making sense is probably the hardest. Oz smiles, and every Wittershin Wayfarer in all of the world would have told you it was a genuine smile. But that genuine smile flips to genuine horror when the rumbling starts. It takes a moment to see that the cause of the rumbling is a screeching soil serpent. Dirt and grass roots bubble and boil and shake loose along the ground as the subterranean serpent slithers its way toward Hazel and Oz. They begin running. But the thick of the trees slows their pace while the slinking beast winds its way through the forest floor, encircling them cutting off every escape route until they're left with no option but to scamper up onto a small boulder. Oz clings to Hazel and she clings to him just to keep from falling off the uneven rock. The soil serpent spirals round the boulder, twining and twisting, corkscrewing closer until it spires round the entire rocky perimeter. The soil thunders and grumbles on all sides. The long body of the serpent just beneath the surface, moving faster and faster and even faster. Until it disappears and all falls quiet. All except the thumping heartbeats and bated breath of Hazel and Oz. Oz breaks into the quiet. Hazel, shouldn't we try and make a walk for it? I, I mean a run for it. And Hazel breaks into Oz. No, we should stay right where we're at. And it's hard to say what breaks into Hazel. It might have been the screeching of the soil serpent. Or it might have been the sight of the soil serpent breaching the tough dirt at the base of the small boulder. But what's certain is that the soil serpent is grumpy and famished. Its jaws shoot into the air, snapping at Hazel but mostly missing. Shaving two-thirds of the sole freckle that dots her left cheekbone then thrashing the other way and snapping at Oz, again mostly missing, relieving him of his right eyebrow and three and a half of his right eyelashes. Though Oz would tell you it's his left eyelash. Each orphan tumbles off the boulder and falls slam-bang belly down. Despite having the wind knocked from their lungs, they feel a moment's relief knowing that the serpent would have to clear the boulder and dive back into the soil before circling around for a second chance to nip at more freckles, brows, and lashes worse. But what they aren't expecting is a second soil serpent. And technically, their expectations are justified. There isn't a second soil serpent. There's just a second head on the original soil serpent, where a tail ought to be. There's another one? It's a double-ended screeching soil serpent, naturally. There's two! 
And as the second serpent head jerks backward from the muck and the mire, up and over the boulder, eyes crossed and bloodshot, head flailing and writhing, vocal cords screeching and teeth gnashing. <laughs> Hazel stands, pulls Oz up from his belly, and the pair of them hot-foot it through the forest. The double-ended screeching soil serpent breaches and dives behind them, shooting into the air and plunging into the soil, drawing closer with each aerial bow. Once. Twice. Three times. And on the fourth jump, just as the serpent bears down on Oz, who's lagging only inches behind Hazel, a thumpwood tree is felled, its sturdy trunk crashing down and thumping the soil serpent square on the head. This only serves to make the other head of the soil serpent even more cross. It whips around, its body now horseshoe-shaped, and pulls back its lips to bear its crescent fangs. All 13 rows of them until... Another thumpwood tree comes crashing down, thumping the other head. The screeching quiets, the thrashing ceases, and Hazel and Oz stand, simultaneously grieving freckles, brows, and lashes, and marveling at their good fortune. Only it isn't good fortune, it's Wooden Wolf Montfort. The old dragon slayer leans against the handle of a scythe. You're lucky it was double-ended. One brain split two ways makes for a half-witted beast. The single-headed is twice as crafty. It'd make quick work of the two of you. Nibble on one and nosh on the other. Wolf hobbles toward them, studying each orphan for wounds or injuries. Are you hurt? Eh, we're no better for wear. (sighs) He means we're no worse for wear. Happy to hear it. That's a sharp blade. It's made from the rib bone of a gruzzle. What's a gruzzle? Rare beast. Not the biggest, but it's got the biggest heart. So big that a dozen men could sleep in its chambers. And big hearts cut deep. He shoulders the scythe and leads them around the slain soil serpent and back toward Cobbler's Gulch. You two ought not wander so far from town. Well, we were tracking goblins. You must have misplaced the trail. One of us did. What do you want with goblins? What do you want with iron spikes? Hazel feels Wolf's eyes narrow on her. The same eyes that have locked gazes with dragons and warlocks and very likely a motley parade of other beasts and baddies. I replaced the iron spikes that were missing. Missing? How did you know there were iron spikes in the first place? Because I buried them there after the Age of Gloom to keep the soul-thirsty scamps out of Cobbler's Gulch. Somebody stole the spikes? Could be that somebody stole them. Could also be that something stole them. Maybe it's the same thief who stole the Wilt Blossoms. Wolf stops walking and grabs both orphans by the shoulder to emphasize the point he's about to make. Fairies tend the lilt blossoms. Did you know that? They don't. And fairies are able creatures, competent in nearly every way. A single fairy could have made snoggling meat of that soil serpent, so whatever it is that may have locked horns with a fairy, it's something you won't want to lock horns with yourself. Understand? 
Oz shakes his head. So does Hazel. Oz's head shaking is genuine, but Hazel's is just an act of politeness. Her mind is already busy brainstorming ways to catch a fairy. Thanks for listening. On the next Cobbler's Gulch, pirates, fairies, and a giant albatross. In the meantime, remember that the world doesn't always make sense. And you, you listening, you probably don't always make sense either. It's maddening, sure. But it's also a reason to be grateful. There are many great stories that begin with nonsense. You're probably one of them. And really, what else do you need to be grateful for, if not your own nonsense? <laughs>